At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. In 2019, the first Strange Realities Conference took place in Nashville, Tennessee. The pandemic and turmoil the following year could not stop 2020's conference from thriving in cyberspace as a live streaming event. Now, for 2021, the third annual Strange Realities Conference will combine these worlds into a paranormal hybrid event, live in person in Nashville and streaming online. Join us in exploring just how truly strange our reality can be with an interdimensional lineup of speakers presenting unique and intellectual perspectives on magic, mysteries, and the paranormal. Featuring Alan Greenfield, Dr. J. Michael Bennett, a.k.a. Dr. Future, Tim Banal, Soraya Asgath, Dr. Stephen Finley, Aaron Gullius, Amy Pachula, Brent Raines, Chris Ernst, Heather Mosher, Michael Hughes, Jose Herrera, Joshua Cutchin, Kiki Dombrowski, Nathan Isaac, P.D. Newman, Stephen Snyder, a.k.a. Recluse, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Steve Stockton, and Brent Collier. Tickets available at StrangeRealitiesConference.com. It's going to be amazing. Welcome to Conspiranormal, guys. It's your host, Adam. I'm here uh, by myself today, but uh, Sophia will be joining me later on for the episode. Either you're going to hear before this one or after. We're not sure which yet, but uh, I've got with me a couple of people that uh, came recommended to me by Brent Rains, and that is Barbara Mango and Lynn Miller. Hi, great to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. We uh, we we tried it last week, but uh, we <laughs> there was <laughs> Barbara. You had some really bad storms and you weren't weren't able to make it. So that's why we're no no power. Yeah, yeah, it kind of puts the damper on uh, doing a podcast when you have something like that happen. So totally, totally understandable. Uh, you guys have a book out uh, called Convergence: The Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences which uh, I got to read not too long ago. And um, you guys, basically in this book, you guys talk about the kind of the interconnection of uh, anomalous experiences that people have. And we'll just kind of start out talking about either one of you, whoever wants to take it, uh, how you guys started really like the process of writing this book and why you wanted to write a book about this. Okay. Um, I'll start. Uh, Lynn and I met on the um, Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation research team, and we were both researchers. We were calling through some of the findings, and we would have a lot of Zoom meetings, and Lynn and I just, when we met, we just really clicked, and we started talking outside of the meetings, lots of phone conversations, and we just became, you know, really good friends. And as lifelong experiencers, Lynn and I um, just had a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. And we both shared the same belief that consciousness is non-local and that 
the basis for all experiences. So Linda and I were asked to write a chapter for a book that uh, was being published by the Free Foundation and was a com compilation of all their years of research. And it was called Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact, Volume 1, because they're are going to be several volumes. And we were asked to write about out-of-body experiences, um, which Lynn has had thousands, and near-death experiences, which I wrote, that was my dissertation subject, and how they share many commonalities with um, UAPs and uh, non-human intelligent beings. And as we were writing that, we said to ourselves, oh my gosh, you know, Here's the hard science. Um, we're working with these great minds and great scientists. So here's the hard science. We have that. Lynn is a scientist. And why not, though, write a book? Because we're lifelong experiencers. So we can bring that component, which we think is just as important as the science. And at our own experiences, and also bring in past lives, which wasn't included, you know, going to be included in the chapter, because that's probably the most impactful experiences that I've had throughout my life. I've had many, many um, past life uh, recollections and almost all of them have been spontaneous while well, I'm, you know, fully conscious. So that's how, that's how the book was, was birthed. Yeah. I suppose that uh, we should kind of start out talking about some of the guys' own personal experiences. I mean, um, Barbara, you, you said that you've had, a lot of these same kind of experiences that you talk about in the book and Lynn, uh, you've had a lot of out of body experiences as well. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about some of these personal experiences? Some of like, like, I mean, I guess, and you, and you also describe too, Barbara in the book about, and I think both of you do about kind of growing up, um, and being kind of like the odd person out in the room in a way that, uh, that these kind of experiences kind of upset you, uh, mark you as different in a way for you to like your family. So can you kind of like explore that concept as well? Okay. Um, I, I guess I'll start. Yeah. Um, I always, I always felt different. I had my first experience at when I was two years old and it was with what I called, or I termed at the time a spirit guide. I assumed that's what it was. And it just, you know, put this in my perspective, you know, I was weird all around. We lived in mm -hmm. um, the Bible Belt at the time, um, surrounded by evangelicals, and we were a um, reformed Jewish family, which is the most liberal form of Judaism. And we weren't religious at all. Like my family, most of my family members were completely atheists. And so it was really difficult to navigate life that way. You know, because we were so different as a family from everybody else, and nobody really understood why we didn't go to church, and and they didn't even know what like being Jewish was. So I felt like an oddity, um, I guess you could say culturally, and my family, how my family identified, and I felt odd. So I already felt like you know an outsider that way, and I didn't fit in. And then I've been having these experiences since I was two years old. And like I said, the first one I had was um, when I used to play in my room. I had, you know, one of those little child play tables. 
And every time I go in there to sit down and play, a very tall, really striking, actually beautiful Native American woman would just appear. I mean, it wasn't like she'd walk into the room. She would just be there. And it was, you know, it didn't freak me out at all. In fact, I thought that was the most normal thing in the world. And I really looked forward to her, her visit. And she told me once her name was, I believe, Luli Ani, um, which is a Native American name, but I couldn't say that. I couldn't pronounce it, so I called her Luli. And to sum it up, she would appear literally every time I went in my room alone, you know, not when my mom was there. And she would talk to me telepathically, and we would talk about, like, really deep stuff for two years old. She'd be talking about the universe and the stars and where we came from. And, I mean, honestly, I can't, of course, remember our conversations in any detail, but I do know she was talking about very deep concepts and I understood them completely. I mean, mm. two years old, I mean, you know, especially you're watching like Bugs Bunny or something, <laughs> but I understood everything. And we spoke, of course, telepathically and I never questioned it. I thought that was more normal to me. That was more normal than verbal speech. Okay. And, and I do remember going to my mother and saying, mom, I have a friend named Luli and we talk about all kinds of like, you know, the universe. I knew what that word was. And of course she just, you know, like poo pooed it and told me, you know, I was you know, lying and making it up and imagining it. And it was just like, you know, an imaginary friend and forget about it. So that, of course, you know, I disguised to myself, right? I knew from that point on, as young as I was, I could never share an experience again, ever, never. So I was so different than my family, so different. They were very like logical, sequential, um, very left brained. If you, if it was there, they could see it, they believed it. If not, it didn't exist and you were crazy. So I continued through life basically stifling myself. I, I could not share this with my family. And on the other, the flip side, they thought I was weird, different, crazy. I lived in my own world. I was living in a fantasy world. Um, it was It was hard. So I had that duality of not fitting in, you know, in my daily life, like at school, um, neighbors just you know where I lived and then my fa own family thinking I was like absolutely out of my mind and it's very 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 difficult to navigate life like that it can be very very lonely and I know Len you know Len you went through some tough times too like that yeah what were some of your personal experiences like that Len well um when I was really young I disassociated a lot you know I pretty much it was difficult for me to really be in reality and versus, you know, the fantasy world. But, um, you know, as I grew up, you know, I was always interested in the paranormal and astronomy. I had a couple of telescopes and aliens and science fiction and all of that. So, you know, I had, I had always been interested in that so much, especially like, you know, the psi phenomena, ESP, telepathy. I was always, always, um, and I would have experiences and these were probably early out-of-body experiences that I would, I would actually be able to move things with my mind and um, be able to speak to other beings through telepathy. Mm -hmm. So those were probably my early experiences because 
Um, I would say when I was probably about 14 is when I started having the strange experiences, which turned out to be, um, it's what we call spontaneous out-of-body experiences. It's like you just kind of naturally just having them. And um, so, you know, that really, you know, interested me. I, I did look into the study of lucid dreaming and I pretty much thought, you know, that's what it was. And, you know, I went on with life through college. I, you know, I majored in psychology and biology because I've always been interested in the mind. And, you know, life happens, you get jobs and you have kids and things like that. But it was around 2006 and I was, I went into teaching. Um, I used to be a microbiologist, but later in life, after I had my, my daughter, I went into teaching and I was teaching in Crothersville. I was living in West Tennessee near Dyersburg, Tennessee. And, you know, we had um, some of the worst um, tornadoes come through the area and it, it destroyed our school. And, you know, a lot of people died during that time. And I was at home and, you know, we had this, you know, this happened in April and I had this prolonged um, spring break. And I happened to come across a, um, a movie called, it was a show called What the Bleak Do We Know? Oh yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. It, you know, talks like, yes, yes. It, it, it completely it just changed my paradigm right then and there. It's like, this is what I've been looking for my whole entire life. You know, this is the answers to everything I've been searching for and wondering about. And so I started, you know, reading a lot about the different authors that were in the movie. And I started to do meditation. And I noticed that as I was increasing my spirituality in doing that stuff, that these out-of-body experiences, which I refused to actually believe that they were out-of-body experiences at that time, because I thought that was a little bit too woo-woo for me, but they were happening a lot. And I was having this intense vibrational state where I felt like a jet plane was um, taking off inside my head, or it sounded like a, like a, um, like a train. And, um, I started to research that because I really thought there's something wrong with me. And a lot of people who experience this vibrational state, which is a prelude to out-of-body experiences, have that feeling. It's like something's wrong with me. And then you you um, experience um, sleep paralysis and all this kind of stuff. And of course, at this time during my, you know, as I was learning about this, I happened to come upon a podcast by William Buhlman. And, you know, he described everything that was happening to me. And that's pretty much around 2010, where I started to learn more about -about out-of-body experiences and starting to learn how to have controlled OBEs. And that's kind of how that happened. And, you know, no, um, so through that, you know, I've just learned from so many other people, from forums, from groups, Facebook, and all this kind of stuff. And so I've not only had many experiences myself, but I've learned from so many other experiencers also. Sure. So that's my story. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So I wanted to ask, um, in writing the book, 
why you included kind of like the specific modalities that you did. In other words, um, what you include is near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, UAP, which uh, UFOs, past life regression theory, or therapy. Um, Why did you choose those particular modalities to look at? Was there anything that, that made you think that that was that they was, were maybe superior to others or was, why did you choose those in particular? Uh, we chose those specifically because we wanted to speak from our own experiences. You know, what, how to us, like I said, the experiential to us is actually, I know the scientists, I hope I'm not offending them, but it's at least as important as the science. And we think even a little more, right. And we, we really wanted to speak, to the types of experiences that we have had ourselves. Or like, for example, I have never had a near-death experience, but many of my close friends had. I've studied it extensively and I wrote my dissertation on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've had uh, experience with a, a craft sighting and, and another uh, really intense, um, well, a, a sort of a sighting communication. Uh, later in my life with UAP, and I've had countless past life recall. And Lynn, Lynn, you've had like what a thousand? I mean, I can't even count. She's had so many out of body well, experiences. So, yeah. In also the fact too is that one thing I've noticed with out of body experiences, especially talking to other experiencers, is that there's something that is really amazing about them is because so many people have believed that they have contact with extraterrestrials, with aliens through out-of-body experiences. So that's sort of the thing that kind of coincides with both of us because I've had contact experiences with non-human intelligent beings. You know, I consider them, you know, are they extraterrestrials? Are they interdimensional beings? You know, I don't know. But so many other people who have had out-of-body experiences have also experienced that. I mean, they've, you know, they've been in contact with the gray, the gray aliens and all kinds of those. And then, of course, Barbara, she's had an actual UFO sighting, you know, um, in her past. So that was something that we both shared. And then, of course, Barbara has also has had some pretty, some amazing um, past life experiences. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to talk about some of those. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, so we, like I said, there's so many other types of experiences as well. Right. We have not just had these experiences. Like, I've had so many other types, and there's so many out there. But like I said, we wanted to really be able to stand behind our words, right? To stand behind, behind our stories. And that's why we collected these. Do you find that, um, because I mean, I definitely do and everything that I've studied and all the podcasts that I've listened to and podcasts that I've done. And, you know, I'm very much of the opinion that all these phenomena intersect rather well with each other and that we may be dealing with what is essentially one phenomenon. Do you guys find that that is that that is true of all this, that there's more than one thing going on all at the same time in, in any of these things that you've studied? Oh, well, absolutely. That's the, that's the title. Well, that has to do with the title of our book. 
which Absolutely. is convergence. Right, right. The interconnection. So see, yeah, um, yeah, because I know that a lot, um, you know, things that we have learned, that, like people who have had um, contact experiences can also have experiences where they start to have out-of-body experiences. They might may start seeing ghosts in all kinds of strange phenomenon. So there's definitely an interconnection with these. It's it's really amazing. People that have UFO experiences that they actually will have then like a poltergeist in their house and th- these type of things. Yeah. Y- yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like strange things start to occur in their lives. Sorry, Barbara. Oh, no, no, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. And so, you know, Lynn and I, obviously, when you've had experiences since you're a tiny kid, um, you you develop a new paradigm or you just look at life from an early age different uh, differently than most people. And so since I was little and I've had just a vast variety of paranormal and, you know, transformational experiences, it, because you're able to like speak and, you know, telepathically and, and you have experiences where your senses are just heightened beyond belief. And the, while you're having your experience, it's realer. It's so much realer than your everyday, like 3D human life. And time doesn't exist anymore. It slows down, it speeds up, but it's distorted. Um, you get like, well, you know, a lot of people refer to this, but I do too, information downloads or you have knowledge you previously didn't know, um, contact with other beings. So all of these different experiences share this, right? And, and they also are sort of the underpinnings of our belief that consciousness isn't local because, again, throughout all these experiences, I mean, you're just, you're be, uh, having them beyond time and space as we know it. And it's, it's just something beyond what human consciousness, I mean, everyday three-dimensional human consciousness is capable of. And during these um, extraordinary experiences, we can connect to other non-local dimensions. And so it, to me, like the way, I saw life since I was teeny tiny is this was my norm. Like I couldn't even imagine not believing that everything was interconnected and they shared all these commonalities and more, you know, there are even more, but these are the ones we focus on. Um, so that's, you know, that has always been my take. Um, Lynn. Right. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah. And I do as well. Um, because uh, it just from, at least the time that I've started studying this, like there's a lot of people that like to put these different phenomenon in a box and say that, Oh, well, if you have a ghost experience and you have a UFO or like a UAP experience, then those are two different experiences. And I've always been of the attitude and the idea that, you know, no, you're dealing with the same thing. It's just different forms of it. So exactly. Yeah. Like I think in the book, I, yeah, there's a sentence where I say something like it's it's a piece of the same non-local puzzle, non-local you know puzzle because to us it is it's like it is it's like a puzzle and each like say you know a UFO sighting or uh, past lives um, or seeing a, 
a spirit or a ghost. I mean, it's just like a puzzle piece, right? And they all form a larger, once you put all the pieces together, you have your puzzle done. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how we've always looked at it. So what are some of the, I mean, I guess, convergence points um, between these different um, these different experiences. So what are some of the things that you list that you list in the book that are that are these points? Well, some of them I had um, I had think I just I had mentioned, but the ones we found, there are many. Okay, but again, we wanted to be able to speak from our own personal experiences because there's there's really no better way of sharing it you know, with readers than when you speak from the heart. And we focused on the areas that we've, we've had personal um, experiences with. For example, in all my experiences, or a lot of them, not all, I take that back, um, I've had heightened senses. And I mean, in every way, and especially with vision. When I have my experiences, my vision is not regular human vision. It's, it's what I call like omnidirectional. Um, it's greater than 360 degree vision because you can not only see, you know, 360, but you can also see like from above, you know, bird's eye view while simultaneously, it's almost like you're underneath the ground looking up. So in all these experiences, in some capacity in each one, your sentences are greatly heightened. And in so many of them, I know Lynn too, and I'm speaking for her too, you know, we've received information. Um, it's either been, like I said, when I was small and I was being taught about the universe and the stars and why we're here. But when I have past life experiences, I'm taken back to another time, you know, historically, and I somehow just understand that historical period perfectly. There's no questions. I get it. It's like the information is just there. Uh, sensing a presence or otherworldly being, that's uh, happened to Lynn and I quite a few times. Uh, I, I believe Lynn as well when she has her OBEs. I mean, time is distorted in all of them. When I've had my past life, and you know, and they say, a lot of people are, you know, say that time exists simultaneously, the past, future, and present, and it may very well, but it's distorted. Um, and some of my experiences, I don't, I can't even begin to say if somebody asked me, oh, well, how, like, how long were you having your experience? It could have been two seconds. It could be five minutes because time just ceases to exist. In, in most of them. Um, and I'm trying to think if I've left anything out. Um, I don't remember if I said information downloads. And there's quite a few, but those seem to be the ones that are most common to Lynn and my experiences. So that's why, again, we focused on those. And Lynn, did I leave anything out? Oh, I don't think so. Um the way I looked at it, too, is that, for instance, you know, the um, UAP experiences and out-of-body experiences, they they will overlap so much to the point where you can't really tell the difference between the two. Um, you know, I feel that a lot of people who have, who have had abductions or who've had contact with extraterrestrials um, were probably also having out-of-body experiences. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's another thing that I was looking at is that there's so many commonalities between out-of-body experiences and UAP, you know, like bright lights, um, you can experience, um, you know, um, where you, um, you know, you're being lifted out of the bed, you're taking onto a ship, you um, um, sleep paralysis, you know, you're paralyzed, there's communication that is telepathic. Um, there are certain things that could be like, they could be, um, operating on you or they could be doing something medically to you. These are things that I've experienced in out-of-body experiences or during like what I consider an ethereal projection where I've had entities, what I believe to be ETs standing right next to my bed. So I look at that as a huge overlap. I'm not saying that they're all. OBEs, but I feel like a lot of um, abduction scenarios could possibly fit into that also. Oh yeah, absolutely they can. I mean, it's 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 it almost seems to me like essentially essentially the same thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that there are there have been studies that have been done where people have been in the I guess the abduction scenario, and they have. Uh, reported something happened but like their spouse or whoever knew that they were just laying there in bed so there's definitely that kind of out of body experience uh you know um aspect to abduction yeah definitely definitely yeah it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing it really is yeah do you encounter uh lynn and I guess Barbara as well. I mean, some of these entities, I mean, do, do you encounter kind of the classic grays? Have you encountered others that, uh, like the, uh, I guess the, the reptilians or the praying man, like th- all these different figures that people report to have contact. Have you encountered these beings? I, I personally have not encountered the grays. I feel like though I'm, I probably have encountered something similar to that. Now I know I've you know corresponded with people who have downright seen you know th- you know they've had contact with the grays. I have seen the mantids. Okay. okay. Now mm-hmm. when, when I um, when I refer to like when you say reptilian, I have seen beings that were blue and had very different features. Um, I've been taken to different worlds, you know, different planets, and. Um, I've seen, you know, different alien types of cities and stuff, technology. Um, So the beings, they definitely are quite humanoid. But, you know, also I've had contact with beings that are human. And, you know, a lot of these I feel like, you know, are they presenting themselves to me as people? But I've definitely seen, you know, my, my contact experiences, like with ETs, you know, that kind of makes up, you know, a certain percentage of my experiences. But a lot of times, you know, I see other people, other towns, you know, um, I'll, I'll fly across, you know, forests and, you know, be among nature, the clouds. I've been to the moon, just certain things like that. But I have I definitely have seen the mantis and the blue aliens. What about yourself, Barbara? I haven't actually had contact with beings. I had a verified sighting that was absolutely amazing when I lived in Kansas City when I was growing up. 
so, I mean, I could describe that, but it, it included telepathic communication with what I call the occupants. Um, I, I, I think that would count. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so this was in Kansas City, out, a suburb outside of Kansas City, and my mother and sister were in the house. It was on the weekend. I remember it being March, except it was incredibly hot, which was, it wasn't normal to have, you know, like 85 degree weather in March. And so all of the neighbors were outside. We're all doing yard work, right? Because it was such a beautiful day. It was cloudless. It was blue sky. You know, Kansas is flat. You have a pretty good view of the sky. And um, I remember looking down raking, just loving the day. And all of a sudden, it just got really dark, you know, like one of those Midwestern storms is coming and it's just like dark. And I couldn't figure out, you know, why it was dark because it was a nearly cloudless day and I hadn't heard anything or, or seen any clouds. So I looked up and my dad looked up and I know the other neighbors looked up and above us was, oh my gosh, it was so low. It was probably around 500 feet above us. And since it was daylight, it was probably around noon um, and cloudless, you could see everything perfectly. So above me was a incredibly large, I would say, and I, you know, I'm really trying to like not exaggerate, between one and two football fields in circumference. It was around, it was a disc shaped, it was very, very thin. You know, there was no domed top, nothing. It was just like two plates, you know, that you turn over and put together. And it was a silver sort of matte finish. And even though it was above me, I, I don't know, maybe I don't think I raised above the ground, but I could, I could tell that there were some type of windows all around, you know, in the center of, of this disc. And I was just looking up and, and the thing is, is that because I've had experiences since I was two, I, I always knew, I always knew that someday I'd get a visit. And so I spent most of my childhood, quite honestly, being really like frustrated and kind of annoyed <laughs> and saying, I want to visit, I want to visit. And like nothing ever came. So I looked up and the first thing, and I actually remember saying this in my head, I said, oh my God, you finally came. And then I heard a voice back and they said, yes. We did come. And, and again, it was telepathic. And I was like, this is so cool. And, and so I'm, I'm just staring at it. And we had a conversation. And I, again, I couldn't see. I couldn't see anything through the windows. But uh, obviously, there was highly intelligent life aboard. And we were having a conversation. Their main objective in speaking to me was to tell me that um, they're real. You know, I knew that I needed to let people know and that there were, they came in peace. You know, there was no ill intention. It was mainly observational. And they told me they were observing us just like in future years, we were going to be landing on the moon and uh, observing the moon and gathering lunar dust and gathering lunar um, rocks and bringing them back to earth and observing those and scientifically trying to determine the composition of them. And I'm thinking, oh, we're gonna go to the moon? 
oh, and I was like, just blown away. And, um, and then they also wanted to let me know that they were very concerned with the planet and the environment, the ecology and how they felt that we were destroying our planet. So, and they said, you know, so look, we know you're not afraid of us. Just if you ever talk to anybody, please let them know that we're here peacefully. We're here to observe you. And remember that you, you will be going to the moon. You will be bringing these things back for examination and, and use that comparison. And please let others in the future know that they really have to be um, loving, loving to the earth and concerned about the environment. And as I continued to look up and everybody in there was looking, we was staring and then it was gone. I mean, it, I had never heard it come, never. So I knew that, and again, I was a kid. How could I know this? I hadn't learned this in school. But I remember saying to my father afterwards, dad, that, and I called it a craft, I think, that craft traveled faster than the speed of sound because we couldn't hear it coming. It just got dark. And then I said, it obviously traveled, you know, faster than the speed of light because we couldn't see it leave. It made no sound and we were just staring. It was there and it wasn't there. But again, I, how could I know that? I had, it was years and years before I learned that in school. And then of course, years later, we landed on the moon, you know, and a few years later, we brought back lunar dust and rocks. And so when we were writing this book, I, I knew it was real. I mean, I never doubted it, not for mm. one second. And, um, I, um, it was reported in the local, in the Kansas City paper, but I still like wanted more quote, you know, hardcore evidence before I wrote the book. So I was looking in Project Blue Book and I combed and combed. I'm like, gosh, it took me like two weeks before I found the sighting because you've probably been through them. They're just, it's just tedious. It's like looking through old microfiche, right? Sure. Classified, yeah. um, right. Oh my gosh. I, I, my eyeballs were popping out and I finally <laughs> found it. No, I finally found it. And you know, I was like, Oh my God. And what was so cool about it, it was one of the very few ones that they couldn't find a reason for it. You know, it wasn't like an air balloon or a plane or anything. It was a genuinely anomalous Exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then I thought, okay, okay, you know, since I'm writing this book and I want some hardcore science in it, you know what else I'm going to do? I remember it being a really hot day and usually hot. Let me look up historical weather in Kansas City. So I did. And do you know that during a 10 day period, including that day, it was the longest, hottest heat wave that Kansas City has ever had in March. And I'm like, oh my God, this thing's cool. This is real. So I was really excited to have that hardcore proof, although I always believed it was absolutely true. That's amazing. That's yeah, that's that you got some validation on that. What's uh what was the year that it occurred? Oh gosh, I'll date myself. Of course. <laughs> it was I'm, I'm, tr I'm, tr I'm tricking you. So. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it was in March and it was nineteen sixty six. And if I remember, three years before we went to the moon, yeah, uh, not that long. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, and and to get that future information was the coolest thing, you know. Um, 
So, yeah, that, that's mine. Again, it's not actually seeing entities, interacting with that. I mean, I did telepathically, but it's different than Lynn's. So that's cool, too, because Lynn and I have the different experiences. And when you combine them, it sort of combines all aspects. Sure. Yeah. You know, we thought that part was, real, you know, important to put in the book as well. So what role do you think does science play in kind of explaining some of these modalities? Is there a way that um, we can explain some of these occurrences through science or that science can help us explain these? Or is this material just so far out of the kind of like scientific paradigm and that it's not, it's not testable in any kind of scientific way? Well, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, um, I, I, well, first of all, the way I look at this is, you know, you, you may call it paranormal, whatever, but the thing about it is it's, it's normal. This is the way the universe is. So it is science. Okay. Just because we cannot explain it or just because we cannot have you know, use a scientific method and do experiments, which, you know, they have done that quite a bit on, on certain things. Um, it's, it's not outside of science because what I believe is that it is science. Science can explain this, you know, especially when you, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, have done research on like the quantum hologram theory of consciousness Mm-hmm. You know, they're researching the fact that um, microtubules in our brain can resonate um, interdimensionally, which means that our microtubules in our brain um, have a quantum nature to it, to, to them. You know, so does DNA. DNA also has a quantum nature to it. So, you know, definitely, you know, quantum mechanics and stuff like that will definitely explain a lot of it, this phenomenon. And, you know, so there is no separation between this and science. It is the same thing. And that's, that's how I truly believe that in time, science will explain this and hopefully we'll be able to actually, you know, prove and measure, you know, like out-of-body experiences or, you know, telekinesis, ESP, things like that. And, you know, um, you know, remote viewing, which is something is that's really cool. You know, that's that's been you know practically proven. Um, Barbara, do you have anything to say about this? Well, what I wanted to say is one of the reasons I decided to write about near-death experiences in my dissertation is because of all of the quote you know modalities. I believe near-death experiences are taken the most as you you know for lack of better words seriously by science um there's been a lot of empirical evidence that supports the validity of ndes and that seems to be an area where science is becoming quite comfortable discussing and openly admitting Uh, i know when i was doing it one of the strongest bits of evidence, at least for NDEs, but of course to me, you know, it would be with everything, uh, is NDEs in the congenital decline. So these are NDEs in people that have never, never seen uh, anything. And when I was reading about it, it was so interesting because initially um, scientists had thought that 
the blind when they were dreaming may at least be familiar with, you know, some type of color, uh, even black, you know, have some sense of color sure. and they don't, they don't see, they don't even have a conception of color, nothing. Mm -hmm. So what was happening is when these congenitally blind experiences were having a near death experience, they were able to describe every detail that they saw, not only absolutely the same as a sighted person, everything. I mean, every fine detail, coloration, shape, form. I mean, they, they describe like um, one of them had a car accident. Uh, I think a bus hit her. The, you know, the name of the transport company on the bus. She could read it. And, and so when they were doing research on this, the researchers couldn't tell, you know, when they were just reading, you know, the, um, the self-reporting, they couldn't tell that some of these, these individuals were blind. They had no idea because the accuracy was identical to the sighted. And, and so it wasn't until they, you know, actually interviewed the subjects and realized they were congenitally blind and they were blown away. And these were verified by third parties. And so that became the hardest to this day, probably the strongest um, empirical proof. And it, it, it is considered, you know, like pretty empirical at this point. So, you know, as science embraces that, they're starting to embrace the other modalities because they're finding these common threads. So, that was another part of why we wrote the book, because we're just trying to show how intertwined they are. And they're just opposite sides of the same spectrum. You know, it's, it's like a balance. They need to be married. And we're hoping they're getting closer to getting engaged. You know what I mean? Like, so. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, Barbara, Barbara also did, you know, um, she also pointed out too, because, you know, she's talking about near-death experiences, but there's also been a lot of validity in past life experiences too. So, you know, that's right. another one where, you know, there's, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the near death experiences. I mean, that, that's simply, that's amazing. When I read that in your book about the blind being able to have these experiences and being able to actually, to actually see, I mean, in, in a sense that tells you that there's more to consciousness than what, scientifically we can say um i'm also reminded of uh i think you mentioned this in the book uh i did want to point out dr persinger's experiments with the god helmet that's another one that uh, i found found pretty compelling um that like produces like kind of like an alter state of consciousness and then people could see the little gray figures and that type of thing so that's another one that i think supports kind of like the validity of these experiences uh but yeah the near-death experiences um 
that is that stuff really interests me and really amazes me. There's one that I can think of, and I think you might have mentioned it in this book, and I read it in another book as well about uh, a lady that had died, and she was over the hospital, and she saw on the top of the building she saw like a shoe on the top of the building and she mentioned that when she came back and she said yeah i saw a shoe on the top of the building and they were like they thought she was just delirious or whatever and they actually somebody actually decided hey i'm gonna just on a lark i'm just gonna go up there and check and there was a shoe on top of the building like that to me is is amazing (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is in the book. It's it's about a migrant worker in Seattle who was rushed to the hospital, and she did die. And her and she when she came back, she did mention the shoe, but she told. I mean, there were like everything, like it had a scuffed heel and the the shoelaces. When you find it, there's like one shoelace dangling here and another one tucked under the shoe. Mm-hmm. So she gave such rich detail. I mean, incredible detail. And yeah, you're right. They found it, and they were like, whoa. You know, so yeah, that's an amazing story. There's also plenty of um, stories where, you know, that there's a conversation that is being being had between the doctors and the operating room or whatever is happening, and that person is obviously is either under anesthesia or they have they have actually died and there's absolutely no way they could have heard that conversation and then they're relating the conversation back and the doctors being absolutely amazed by all this um i don't know if you saw uh the netflix documentary about surviving death which i thought was very well done kind of lagged in places but i thought there were a few episodes that that really were interesting and one of them was um where they talked about the kind of like deathbed experiences of people in hospices and how uh, they've seen love, dead loved ones and that type of things and kind of how similar that is to a near-death experience. Yeah, actually, that's what I call, I went through this with my father. He, was, he died at home. Uh, we had hospice. And actually, I'm going to be talking about this. Um, I'm going to be a speaker at the uh, 2021 IONS conference. And my father went through this, and he had uh, what they call an NDA, a nearing death um, uh, experience, and uh, sorry, nearing death awareness. And he was self-reporting all these things to me, and it was absolutely amazing because during the process he turned from you know i had mentioned my parents were jewish but they they were like not religious my dad actually was incredibly hardcore atheist he didn't believe in anything Hmm. and um and through these experiences these amazing amazing experiences where he'd see things and hear things and have communication with the other side and then report it to me he actually at the end of his life became a believer, not, not religiously, but spiritually. And he believed in what I believe in. It was absolutely amazing. So I was able to witness that, which was beautiful. And um, so, yeah, that was really affirming for me. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, let's talk about the past life therapy. Uh, and I really want to get into this because this is something that... <laughs> 
I, I find really fascinating. Um, so what is kind of the, the validity of the past life regression as a therapy? How do you think that it really, that it, that it helps people? Uh, well, first I want to start by saying I've never had a regression. I'm, you know, I don't think I'm alone, but I've had mine spontaneously while I'm fully awake. I have friends that are past life uh, hypnotherapists and the main benefit is that in traditional psychotherapy, it can take weeks, usually not weeks, months, sometimes even years to get to a root of a problem, to deal with a phobia, to deal with, you know, an emotional distress. And when you have a hypnotherapy session, not always, but many of the times the problem can be addressed and resolved immediately. You go back to the past life, you remember the root of the problem from that past life. You, and once you have that memory, it's like you don't need to have that embedded, you know, in your, um, in your energetic field anymore. You release it and it's gone. So that's, to me, amazing. But mine were so weird because um, mine came to me. One, of, one series, the one I actually talk about, I believe, in the book, that happened to me in, in a semi-dream state. But the rest of them have happened. I mean, like, one time I was driving and I was at a stoplight. Okay, it's pretty dangerous to have one. I mean, I just sort of, like, was sitting there and next thing I knew was in a past life. So I would not advise that. Nobody wants drive with me I'm not you know I tend to go off um but what was so amazing about mine is when I was a young child is I had uh, a spontaneous healing both phobically and physically immediately after recall of these lives which was pretty profound that was probably the most impactful experience of my young life I had them when I, I had this when I was six years old so um, I don't know if you want me to go into it, but I can. Yeah, please. Yeah, please. I'd, I'd love to know about this. Try, yeah, I'll try to make it abbreviated because it, it's kind of intricate. I was six years old in, you know, in real life and I was in first grade and I developed pneumonia. And I mean, I wasn't hospitalized for it. It wasn't that bad, but it was bad enough that, you know, I was sick and I had a chronic cough and, you know, the whole lung thing. And I missed, I think it was 50 days of school. So five, that's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. I was just, oh, it was awful. I was constantly at the pediatrician. My mom was constantly taking me. He would try every therapy they had at the time, every antibiotic, every, you know, anything he could think of, but like nothing, nothing was getting rid of it. And I was so frustrated. I was so upset. I was so sick of feeling sick. And then the principal of the school called my parents. And this really was upsetting to all of us. And he said, look, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but if a child misses more than 52 days of school, they have to repeat a grade because that's just considered, you know, missing too much school. And I mean, I was a really good student and I was just like blown away. I'm like, God, I'll be held back. And oh my God, it's so awful. The parents were really upset. So that night when I went to bed and I, you know, it wasn't a dream. There's no way on earth this was a dream. This was the most, one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. So I had 
I would say a series of three like vignettes. That's what I call it. Like little like slices from a past life. So and it, so it's like a dream in three parts, so to speak. But it wasn't a dream. So in the first part. I was the same age that I was in my current life, which was six years old. I knew it. It like, like when it started, it flashed, the year flashed in front of me. And I also knew I was in, in England and the name like Derbyshire, which is, you know, a real town in Northern England popped up. And I was in a car and I was being driven by, I guess this was like our family chauffeur or so to speak. We were extremely wealthy. And I knew I was being driven back home. I knew that I had been taken away from my home because a tragic incident had occurred. And now it was time for me to come home again. And here's the thing that was so powerful and overwhelming. At the same time, it was very traumatic for me because I was only six years old, you know, in, in my, my real life. And while I'm having this memory, I became this girl. So it's not only like I'm seeing this, like I'm watching a movie in front of me, right? Which you do. You see the whole scene. So I'm visually, I'm aware that I'm Barbara in real life. I'm aware I'm a six-year-old girl, like in my bed, right? So I never, I never lost track of that. In the meantime, I become a little girl. And I'm not just looking at her like I'm watching a movie because all of that is happening. I'm simultaneously her. I've become her. I'm sitting on that seat of the car. I'm looking around me. I'm feeling the breeze. It's summer. I'm smelling the flowers. But I'm also feeling her emotions. I'm looking, I'm looking at the chauffeur's head. You know, in front of me, I'm, I'm looking at all the grand homes we're passing. But I'm also in her. I, I am her, and I'm feeling her emotions. And she is distraught. She is despairing. She is so depressed. She's anxious. And the weight of what she was feeling was so difficult for me because I was aware of myself at the same time. And so I just felt this horrible sadness and trauma and just in this little girl so finally as we're driving driving the chauffeur makes a left we come up a long drive I know we're back at my home and what I thought was my mother but I found out I remembered later it was actually my older sister came she's so happy to see me she came to the car door she opened the door and welcomed me home the second then that ended that faded then I had another like vision of me I was probably like in my 30s um, or 20s and it was during the roaring 20s and I was wearing, you know, one of those flapper dresses and I was dancing and I was at a party and I was smoking and drinking and I knew that I was just, you know, like a total party girl, like party animal. And I, I like, I knew I had like no regard for anybody. It was all about money and materialism and you know, the fact that I, I, I had so much money and I was part of that, like, you know, elite, wealthy, aristocratic crowd. And you're experiencing this as your as a six-year-old. As, as a six-year-old, yeah. Yes, but this is the part that was so overwhelming. Okay. The last part just 
I, I couldn't even handle this. It was so hard for me. The last vision I had, I knew that I was in my late 40s or early 50s. And I, I was very close to the end of my life. I had just been told by my, just into the doctors, I had been having some chest problems, you know, like coughing, tightness of my chest, that kind of thing. And I had just returned from my doctor and I had had tests, I guess. And I had been told I was dying of incurable lung cancer. And I saw myself, I saw what I was wearing. So again, I'm Barbara knowing I'm in bed. But at the same time, I'm not only looking at this woman and she has one leg on the bed, she's sort of leaning on the bed and looking out the window at these beautiful fields behind the house, this huge house at the manor house, and feeling so devastated, so terrified, so sad, and so lonely because she had nobody. Because Again, she had been this party girl, this, this just user, this really not nice person. And I had known just somehow that she had had many husbands and just like used and abused them. And she had never had kids. And she, she really had driven most of her friends away. So she had everything materially, but she had nothing emotionally. So you're not experiencing like a multiple life times. You're experiencing this one person's life, that's kind of what I'm understanding. Okay. In this situation, right. correct. I'm right. just envisioning and seeing and experiencing three periods in her life. So, okay. As, yeah. So, it was so, so then the next day I got up and two things. I, I was, I, again, remember, I couldn't tell my parents, I couldn't share this because after that first experience with my spirit guide, I had been told I was a liar. I was making things up. I was a fantasizer. You know, just we don't even want to hear this crap. So I had to keep this to myself. So what do I do with this? Because I'm having profound experiences of being told I was going to die and knowing what that felt like. But how can my six-year-old self process that? It was absolutely overwhelming. And at the same time, though, when I woke up, because don't forget, she had had lung issues as well, like you do with pneumonia, right? I woke up and I felt great. No, I'm serious. I felt absolutely phenomenal. And I said to my mom, I feel so good. I want to go to school today. So she took my temperature. I had no temperature. I wasn't coughing. Um, I wasn't wheezing. She said, no, well, you know, you sound okay. I can't believe this, but let, let's take you to the doctor. So I went back to the pediatrician. And he said, I don't understand this. Like, medically, this does not make sense, but you don't have pneumonia. You're fine. And I've never seen anything like this. Like, I've never seen, like, something clear, like, you know, because I had just been there a few days ago. Like, yeah. literally clear on its own. And of course, which you talk about in the book, spontaneous healing and how that's a part of a lot of these modalities. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, I guess because I went back to that life and I knew I had basically smoked myself to death and it was a long issue and it involved breathing and everything that goes with, you know, pneumonia, some of the same symptoms. I didn't need to carry it anymore. I had gone back to the root cause. 
I had seen it. I had experienced emotionally on like every level of the body, the astral body, the, you know, the physical body, the emotional body, the energetic body, whatever imprinted it left. So I didn't need it anymore. And I released it on all levels. And I was basically spontaneously healed. But I've had many, 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 many other remembrances of many other lives. But this is the most impactful because I had a spontaneous healing. Um, and I also had a phobic healing because a few days later, I remembered why I had to be taken out of the home. And to back up, I, as a child, I was terrified of knives. I, I know that sounds crazy, but I had this horrible fear of sharp knives. I'm like, I, I never understood it. And I'd get like really sweaty palms if I had to go near a knife or my mom was cutting something. And um, yeah, it was just like paralyzing for me. So remembering back a few, a few days later, it just popped in my head. I remembered another piece of it. And I knew that the reason I had been taken out of my home, my father had been murdered and he had been stabbed to death. And, and my mother, who had always been very emotionally fragile, just had a complete breakdown and she was put, I guess, back then they called them institutions. And so my sister had decided that, you know, until this was like settled down and, and everything, my older sister, it, it was best to go stay with relatives. And, and that's why I had been taken away from my home. So after that memory, it was like, I was like, Oh my God, I don't have to be scared of knives anymore. Oh my gosh. You know, I remember now why I was scared of knives. I don't, I don't need that anymore. So it's almost like you don't need to carry that, whatever imprint it's left, whatever the reason psychologically, uh, emotionally, physically, energetically, whatever that pattern or cycle that you were carrying was, you don't need it anymore. It's gone. It has no purpose. And you immediately, it just lifts. And after that, I, I would laugh. Oh, my God, I'm not scared of knives anymore. You know, it was, it was amazing to me. So I had both a phobic and physical healing, which, I mean, it's inexplicable to me. I, I can't imagine that it was. It, it, it had to be valid. I mean, it's always been very valid to me, and I can't imagine otherwise. That matches up with um, a lot of these accounts that I hear about young children. And how sometimes they will be afraid of something like maybe take, for example, water or something. And they'll say like, well, why are you afraid? And that I drowned or something like that. And you, you, you hear that a lot in these accounts. Um, so this person in this life that you experienced, I mean, this is probably a well-to-do person. Were you able to track this person down and find out who she was? Oh, my God. I killed myself trying to do that. And I think I knew her first name was Victoria okay. and I knew she lived in Derbyshire, but honestly, I don't know if she was born in Derbyshire or she just lived there at the time. But I was so determined because remember at the end, I mentioned that I had, I saw the house that I was in, you know, that I came back to after I was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And I was looking out the window and I saw my gardens and I, and I had like, a, you know, those ornate English gardens and I had benches all around because I would read outside. And so I would just search and comb through these, these um, historical like manor homes that have 
state that still exists, right? Trying to like see if it would jar something in my memory. And I went, I did this for like two years. I was obsessed. It was like, I felt like I was mentally ill or something. And then one day I was looking through a book. I can't remember the name. And I saw a house and it's actually called Rod Martin Manor. And it's, uh, uh, I hope I'm saying this right. I believe it's Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire mm-hmm. which is very near Derbyshire. And my mouth dropped open and I got goosebumps and, and I, my heart started palpitating because that was the house. Everything. Like the garden was exactly as I remember. The benches were exactly as I remember. And and this particular home is famous for its garden. So it was it didn't show any in the interior rooms. It showed the exterior of the house, and then it showed multiple pictures of the garden because they're open to the public now. Um, so I just I was blown away. I almost dropped the book, and it. it you know, and after that, I didn't have that need anymore. You know, that whole like searching thing. I was like, okay, yep, that verified it enough for me. Like I can move on. I don't, I don't need to investigate this anymore. You know, I know that you mentioned Dr. Jim Tucker in his book. I'd love to get him on the show um, and talk to him. But um, he talks about he's Ian Stevenson's, I guess, protege, whereas Stevenson, um, you know, did a lot of the research in, in, in the East specifically in India, Dr. Tucker does it here in the West and specifically in the United States. And the cases that he has researched are nothing short of amazing. And some of the things that they have been able to find and that matches up with some of the, uh, some of the accounts that the children give. Uh, there's the one where, that I can think of where the guy, the kid had said that he lived in Hollywood um, and in, and remember there being like a pool in the backyard and these type of things. And they actually found the house. They found the guy, they found, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> there's something going on with that. No, it's amazing. And there's another book too. I, I, I don't remember. I think this was, made into a movie or was going to be made into a movie about a little boy who since the time I think he was two absolutely knew he had been a fighter pilot. Soul Survivor. I'm actually looking I actually could see that book on my bookcase right across from me, incidentally. So yeah. That's a great I book. I love that book. I love that book. And the thing about past lives is that most kids they remember them very clearly and they absolutely believe in them until they're about five or six. And it seems like there's two reasons for that. Number one, a lot of times, of course, they're told like I was, you know, that that was a dream, you know, that was a cool dream, but it didn't really happen. You're you, you never lived before. And then they just go to school and they get caught up in their everyday lives and it, just sort of fades so for like for me and for these amazing childhood experiencers like it never fades for us it's like embedded in the very fabric of our being you know and and that's another thing to me that's so powerful how come these kids it's always so real to them while others just sort of you know it fades away so that's that's always been really intriguing to me as well right and that's 
the I mean the age of five or six. I mean that's the, you were six years old when you had that experience, and um, that matches up with that as well. It seems like as the the mind is developing, um, that you begin to have your own personality probably around about you know age three or four, and it starts to kind of rapidly decline from there. Um, there was one thing that was compelling in the case that I mentioned. Dr. Tucker um, that he had researched was that the child who's now a teenager actually does not remember anything that he said but the mother she still remembers it and she's still you know so it kind of became her thing to search this out find out what was going on so I found that fascinating I was lucky because most parents don't validate a child's story yeah, and to have that type of parent that would do that because I didn't have that—that's so powerful. It's so important, you know. That's that's one thing of people that I know that have small children. I've actually asked, like, have they? Do they ever say anything to you that's like weird about being somebody else or that, you know, that type of thing? Because I I honestly think that it's much more common than people think that it is or give it credit for. I think what exactly what you said is that people just ignore it. They think, oh, just he's just being silly or whatever, you know. Yeah, and and I believe it was Jim Tucker. I believe, if I remember correctly. I mean, he's he's written extensively on how parents, in other words, I hate to work use the word should, but the best way that parents can open that dialogue, the questions that would be best to ask and you know you can read that on online and it's great information for parents you know should they be inclined and if they're open because there's so much you can learn from your child you know um and it's a real shame when they they have to just you know clam up and and they can't share so how many lives do you remember Uh, I'm trying to think probably about 13 or 14, but not all of them are mine. I've had, Mm. uh, I've had, I guess I've called them shared past lives where I had a friend um, because I'm a Reiki master and I was doing Reiki on her because she's since I think when she was about a teenager, a young teenager, she fell and she broke her neck. And she's always had issues with her neck. She doesn't like things around her neck. You know, scars and stuff. And she gets chronic migraines and has, you know, neck problems all the time. And she was having a really bad headache. And I was working on her, you know, doing Reiki on her neck area. When all of a sudden, I, my heart started beating really, really fast. Because this is what happens to me when I have the experiences. I, I couldn't breathe. You know, I was going, <laughs> Um, I felt like I was literally having a nervous breakdown and I noticed she started breathing really fast and I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God. And I saw a scene and it, I don't know if it was in Salem. Okay. You know, you think Salem, but I saw that she was being tried and she had been tried for being a witch. She was found guilty. And then, and I was sweating. I was getting really hot. And I saw her being dragged by her hair. She had long blonde hair. And then, you know, actuality, she did have long blonde hair. And she was being dragged by her, by her hair because they had already, um, you know how they hung them in, 
and burned them or, you know, um, I'm trying to remember, you know, burned them at stake, so to speak, which is pretty gruesome, but, and they were going to burn her at stake, but they were going to also hang her. And, and they were just putting the, like the rope around her neck and she screamed at, but I'm not telling her this. I'm just like, you know, and, and I'm freaking out. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, my neck is tightening. They're putting a rope around my neck. Oh, my God. I'm a witch. So and then, you know, I'd say something and she'd say something. And we were both so freaked out. But we saw the same thing at the same time while I was doing energy work on her, which I know sounds a little far out. It really does. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if I'd believe it if somebody else said it, but you know, I'm pretty grounded and I'm very, um, I'm always questioning the validity of everything. Yeah, 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 whatever. So it was so real between both of us and we were both having the same like physical reactions and it was, it was unbelievable. And another time I had one of my husband, of a past life of my husband, and I was able to verify everything for that one. Um, I was just, and this is the one I was driving. I, I think I was driving somewhere. I was ready to go on the ramp of the highway. There was a, a light. And all of a sudden I was in his past life. And again, it was the same thing. Looking, you know, seeing the sight, being him, becoming him, feeling his emotions. But this time I was told the name of the, the city he lived in. I was told the name of the company he worked for. It was back in the industrial age and he worked in a publishing company. And I saw him in a big room, you know, watching his employees with the, the printing press. Um, and I was able to verify everything in that. So, um, you know, when I told my husband that he freaked and he also said, Oh God, I don't want to drive anywhere with you again. because I don't know if you're just going to suddenly go off or not, but I've, I've had many, so I, I guess I call it shared um, of other people. But again, his was the one that I could verify, which was so weird to me. Right. Maybe I needed to do it to, to because he thought it was, you know, it's so wacky to have past lives. Like, you know, he was really skeptical. At least thought it was insane. And when I started showing him these things, he's like, Oh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he's a true believer, but he's much more open now. And he was kind of freaked out that I was able to verify everything. That's amazing. Um, Lynn, have you had any experiences like this, like past life, this type of thing or. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's sort of different. It's like um, during my out of body experiences, it's like I it's like I'm living as somebody else, and it's nothing that's human though. <laughs> so it's like I I I'm living a life of a extraterrestrial on a different planet, and it's like I'm. It's almost as if it's an alternate life, and there was one time too that this was a pretty intense experience where um, I was, I was here on earth, but I was not human. I was um, like an extraterrestrial or or another type of entity. And I was um, watching um, the construction of a Mayan pyramid and the, those Mayan pyramids and, you know, it's like, you know, the 2012 thing was never a really big deal to me, you know, because, you know, they were talking about the calendar, but all my life I have had 
visions, especially when I was younger, of tunneling underneath the pyramids and placing artifacts, important artifacts in them. So yeah, on this one, I was like standing there watching the pyramids or watching a pyramid being built, but I wasn't me. I was, I was a very tall alien entity. So I feel like um, I've, my past lives are, are not of earth. They're of different, different, um, different beings, different aliens and stuff. So that sounds pretty corny too, but I've experienced them. No, that, that's, that's interesting. Like the idea of kind of like concurrent, you're living a concurrent life somewhere else. That's an interesting concept as well. I feel like that, I feel like that is very, I mean, when they talk about the, like the mini worlds interpretation or that there could be mini lives or mini universes, I do. I feel like we can have multiple lives, you know, living at the same time. And sometimes I even look at past lives like that too, because it's, you know, past, present and future are the same thing anyway. So it could be something that we can be experiencing at the same time, alternate lives. So I kind of have a different look on past lives in that way. I feel like they're alternate lives that we are living possibly at the same time. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's something that's something that's outside of our concept of time, almost like, you know, time and the past, the present, the future is all one thing. It's just how that we perceive it is is totally different um and that maybe we can we step out of those bounds whenever we have these type of experiences definitely because you know you're in the inner dimensions you're you're in a place where time doesn't exist so you're able to you know see these like i've seen my dad um you know after he passed i wanted to see him but there was one time when um asked for to see my dad and I was seeing him as a child when he was really, really young, like in little overalls with his brother and my grandmother. So, you know, it's like I was visiting an aspect of his life like that. And it was really neat because sometimes, I mean, when, you know, the out-of-body experience, you will definitely and can, you know, go into the past because it's all the same. You know, it's so you can experience all kinds of strangeness in in that aspect of time travel. <laughs> yeah, that's I think not, they call it the Akisha records. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that term before. Yeah, it's all very. This is all very fascinating, and I think we kind of like barely, barely have kind of like scratched the surface. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about this. Yeah. But uh, I'm curious, where uh, where can people get the book? Where can people find you guys? So where can people like send their like own kind of like personal experiences? Uh, well, we would love that. We have a website, and it's www.extraordinaryexperiences.org. And yes, people can message us. Please do if you have any questions. Um, there's information on the book. Um, there's a lot of lot of resources on the website and also we write a blog there's oh gosh maybe 85 blog articles so far and we keep cranking them out so and they concern the topics we talk about in our book and and other related topics and um we're also just finished actually and then you might be able to 
tell a little more about that, but we just finished a free downloadable book uh, that you can, that you'll be able to access from our website too. And actually what it is, it's called journeys of a lifetime. And it's so readers can get to know us and our personal journey, you know, and cause I think that's important as well, especially as experiencers and our books available at Amazon. It's available uh, in Kindle version. It's available at Barnes and Noble. It's available on their version of Kindle, which is called book nook. Um, if you Google it, you'll find it in many independent bookstores, and book depository. So, um, you know, there's lots of options. What's next for you both? Um, or is there another book on the horizon? Uh, anything that you're, that you're researching right now that particularly um, grabs your attention? Well, right now we're still, you know, uh, trying to get word out about this book. And then I, I will be preparing for, um, you know, my, my uh, talk at the Ainz conference, which is going to be, uh, it's a it's four day conference. I'll be speaking on um, sept- September 1st through the 5th. I'll be speaking on the 4th, which is a Saturday night. So I'm focusing on that preparation. And then um, I'm going to be trained, go through it like a, uh, you know, a few months down the road to be um, a group facilitator uh, for people that have had spiritually transformative experiences so they can be in a safe, you know, environment and have somebody that will help them uh, guide them through, guide them through the experience, help them um, integrate it, you know, like a, a, in a group format. So that's, that's a little down the road too, that I'll be doing. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're just, Mainly, you know, trying to get the word out about this book. And Lynn, because I, I, I didn't really explain the ebook, Lynn, because Lynn's putting it together. Um, she did amazing artwork on well, it. Well, first of all, we're hoping to also be able to get to some conferences, you know, since, um, you know, the COVID situation has pretty much, um, you know, died down, you know, to get to conferences, because um, we'd love to be able to, to do presentations and teach other people and, and talk about this stuff to other people. Um, the, the ebook, um, gosh, I was just like finishing up, you know, the ebook today and I'm hoping that I can get it on. Um, well, it's in a PDF format. So we're going to get it on our website. So that's going to be free. Um, and um, yeah, Barbara talks about her, her lifetime of experiences. And then I kind of go into a lot of more detail about um, out of body experiences so um, I'm looking into trying to get it on Amazon, but I'm, I'm wanting it to be free and Amazon won't let you do anything for free. So I'm trying to, you know, you know, um, learning about other platforms that we can get it to where people can actually have it as an ebook. Um, but yeah, right now, I mean, we could go ahead and put it on our website as a, as a PDF so they can download it from, um, like that. Okay. Excellent. But um, as of future things, you know, you know, me and Barbara have talked about, you know, possibly looking into more of the, the personality types of, of um, people who have, you know, um, these types of experiences. And that's something that we may research in the future. Okay, excellent. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming on. Uh, this has been very, very interesting. Um, um, I'm happy that I got the chance to, to, to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's really been enjoyed so great. All right. Yeah, it was interesting, interesting experiences and interesting accounts. I, I, re- I always enjoy listening to those. Okay. Um, 
Thank you. And uh, guys, I will be back to close out the show in just a little bit on Conspiranormal. Okay, great episode there with Barbara Mango and Lynn Miller uh, talking about the book Convergence, the interconnection of extraordinary experiences. Really enjoyed that conversation. Anytime we get to talk about past life experiences, which is one of my you know, favorite, most fascinating things I like to talk about, which I don't get to talk about very much on the show, but hopefully going to rectify that soon is a, always a good time. So I want to thank them for coming on. Uh, just real, real quick um, before you know, leave uh, the episode. Remember, tickets are still available for the Strange Realities Conference coming up October 15th through 17th here in Nashville. $70 to come hang out with us in person in Nashville or $30 to see it online. And also, guys, uh, any if you enjoy the content that we bring to you on the show, you can hit us up on Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, join the, um, the Order of Conspiranormalists or the Mystic Crew or the Ancient Order of Strange Realities. And you guys are in. And uh, join us. We actually, for the Mystic Crew, we do every single month we are doing uh, hangouts where we have a presentation from different, uh, either our friends or people that we have had on the show. And actually, next month, I'm going to be doing one. Yours truly is going to be doing one. So there's that. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to sign out. Uh, Sergio will be back next week. And join us for another fun episode of Conspiranormal. Consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.